Welcome to Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. I am your host, Lori McGraw. I have spent the past 30 years in leadership, and over the years, I've come to learn one thing. Women need women, and not just any women, but inspiring women. Tune in every week to hear from women at the pinnacle of their careers and from others who are just starting out. Episodes can be found at inspiringwomen.show or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. I'm Lori McGraw, and you're listening to Inspiring Women. As we kick off the new year, there is so much talk about the great resignation, probably the great reevaluation, or maybe the great reset. And so who better to speak with than today, Lisa Rangel. Lisa is 20 years experience of executive coaching placement in her own company, Chameleon Resumes, which she founded over a dozen years ago to help executives learn how to better present themselves to get their next great great career placement, faster, better, and in just an exceptional way. And Lisa, I'm so pleased to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Very grateful. Well, Lisa, let's just get started. So, you know, I always start inspiring women. You've been 20 years in this business of helping professionals find their next place, whether it's through coaching or placement or just helping them um, find a way to present themselves. But why don't you start with just telling us what you do day to day? What's Chameleon Resumes all about? We are um, an executive resume writing and job landing consulting firm. Everyone on my team has uh, prior either corporate or search firm recruiting experience. So what we do is we reverse engineer our firsthand experience with the, the recruiting process and we write our documents for our clients and do our job landing tactic training with clients, showing them exactly what to do with the marketing documents that we create for them. So they're not waiting for recruiters to call. They're not waiting for the ideal job posting to appear. We're showing them how to go out, find and approach target individuals based on what they want in their next career. So Lisa, in, in doing that, I want to talk about that because it's always a sort of like interesting in terms of, you know, here are very experienced people and they don't necessarily have the best approach, tactic skills for how to present themselves. But before we even go into that, how did this become your professional choice? How did you become a leader at it? You know, and it takes uh, quite a bit of seniority, I think, to actually be working with executives who is, I believe is your primary audience. So maybe just give us the little bit of history in terms of how you got there. Absolutely. I, I was a search firm recruiter in primarily the accounting and finance space, but as I got promoted in the recruiting industry that I was a part of for 13 years, I started overseeing different disciplines of recruiting, um, both on the contract side, as well as the executive placement side. And so I came to opening Chameleon in 2009 with 13 years of prior executive recruiting and contract placement experience. And I see the value in having that firsthand expertise in, in doing this for clients directly. And, and to be clear, we're not placing individuals because only about 10 to 15% of hires happen through 
third-party recruiters or search firm recruiters, as most people come to know them as, um, it's it's 60 to 65% of hires that happen through essentially networking, you know, employee referrals, social media connections, personal contacts, you know, and not just the first degree, but second, third, fourth degree connections. And it's really showing people how to essentially mine their own database using internet research, LinkedIn, other sources, for them to find their own opportunities that that aren't necessarily posted sometimes and sometimes they are and it's it's just how to you know inch yourself forward as the person to be interviewed and then ultimately be viewed as the person to be hired so before before you were an executive yourself you were working with executives lisa what surprises you i mean you know why if if somebody is a very senior professional why aren't they all why do they need your services what we find over and over again is, you know, executives, senior level professionals, people who've been in doing what they do for, you know, anywhere from 20, 25, 30 years, is they tend to have been, they are, are very good at what they do. So they've been sought after, recruited, promoted throughout their career. And, and while they did, you know, do some some personal marketing typically in some capacity or they have an, a resume that they've updated since you know maybe they got their MBA or or even some if they don't have an MBA even just the resume that they got out of the career center you know 20 years ago um, and they just kind of update that but they're they typically find themselves in situations up till they get to us where their reputation preceded them so the need for maybe robust marketing materials or a very direct approach in doing a, a job search, wasn't needed as much because, like I said, they were sought after, they were recruited, they were promoted. And then, but, you know, those are at the levels, you know, staff and mid-level management levels where there are more positions available, just simply, you know, if you look at the hierarchy of an org chart, um, there's just more staff and more middle management positions available compared to, say, this you know, the C-level or the executive level. And when they start to, you know, position themselves to be in that level or they're at that level and now want to make another move and stay in that level, I think they don't realize they may be in situations where their reputation isn't preceding them. And so they actually need to have market documents that market themselves. And they also haven't had to do an active search, a proactive search where they are initiating the search versus just reacting to what's coming to them. And it's at the time where there's the fewest positions at the top level. I mean, that's just economics. So I think these things all happen at the same time. I think once you're over 40, 45 years old and you've been doing what you do for a while, I think most of us have had this experience sometimes where like you don't you feel like you've arrived and people should be coming to you just as at the point where maybe now the succession plan, you're not a part of it, or there's an M&A move and you're not in the, the big part of the, you know, the, the, the predominant company doing the M&A move or, or just something isn't, you don't like your boss anymore and you're not going to, you're not going to elevate in that company any further. When you start to have to do the search yourself, right at a point where you feel like maybe you've arrived and people should be coming to you, it can be a little bit of an ego blow, you know, and I think that's why people then come to needing us. Yeah. And so I want to actually sort of twist it a little bit to, or turn, turn it a little bit to women in particular, because I think that so many of the women that I talk to or mentor, there's, um, there is this history of success. And it's almost like not necessarily planning your career ascent, but there's falling into the next thing. And then 
then all of the sudden things slow slow down and there's there's you know sort of like what do i do and then it gets into the self you know negative cycle of like oh gee whiz i'm not you know all that i thought i was so so that's what you know just things that i have seen in um you know just many years of speaking to women mentoring etc what what do you see do you see those differences between men and women specifically you know, I, I see differences in, in in men and women, but I also see some of those scenarios that typically get labeled as being seen with, with women um, executives. I see those happen with men, and then I see what happens or what gets labeled as happening with men sometimes obviously happen in women. So, you know, some abide by the stereotype, some don't, and that's, I think, you know, human nature, right? Not everybody fits the stereotype, but um, what I find sometimes with women, though, and this is, you know, also speaking for myself, is I think we we tend to feel like we have to fit most of the criteria before we apply or before we think we're worthy, and and men typically, you know, take more of a risk. I mean, here's a little bit more of an example. Like, a lot of times when we present a first draft of a resume to a female executive, they sometimes are a little concerned if, if we're overreaching with things um, or if it says if it's too powerful. And when we actually drill down in each bullet and say, this is a fact you gave us, this is something you actually did and accomplished. How do you want me to dial it back if this is what you did? When we get sometimes into the granularity of like the of the editing and, 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 and say like, okay, we can't dial this back. This is what you did. And then they're like, oh yeah. Okay. So we get them to own it. But whereas a, a lot of times with men, if, you know, we present something, they're like, oh my God, that looks amazing. And they're not concerned about it looking like it's too much, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and I've had that both ways, you know, uh, or an opposite way with men and women as well, but it is a majority um, when there is any resistance sometimes to a first draft, it's it's usually an uncomfortability and that uncomfortability typically sits more with women than with men. And I think that also falls into the camp of um, sort of, you know, I don't know how I can be confident saying that. I don't know if that is the authentic me. So, so I think that is a well-studied, um, you know, phenomenon in terms of, I, I forget what the exact statistics are, but women tend to want to fit 90 or plus percent of the criteria to apply for something. Men, it's more in the 60, 65% range. So, so given that that is what is, how do you advise women to, I don't know, get over it or, or <laughs> lean into it. I mean, you know, the, you know, that is obviously something that perhaps holds women back from pursuing things. And, um, and what I'm hearing you say, it's not necessary to do that. So how do people get over it? How do women in particular get over those, those issues? It's definitely a complicated answer. Um, and at risk, it's seeming oversimplified. Typically women have more on their plates you know, at home, in addition to what they're doing in their senior level job. So I think there's a lot of work that we need to do to say like what we're doing is acceptable, what we're doing is enough, and and then promote what we're doing. I think the key is not to think we have to get this some next level certificate or some next level achievement in order to then think we're worthy to start marketing ourselves in some way or promoting ourselves in some way or standing up for ourselves in some way. I think the key is just to realize we have enough and we've done enough and we don't need to do anymore. And the key is just to start marketing. And, and by marketing, you know, the key is to stick with the facts. 
if it's factual, it's not bragging in my opinion. And, you know, if you don't use superlatives, you know, don't use subjective terms, you know, like facts are facts. And if you're the one who led it, you know, managed it, did it, then, then just own it and, and say it is very matter of factly and in, in the right context as possible and just let it roll, you know, and, and be, and be strategic about it too, uh, in many cases. I mean, whether it's speaking to specific people, seeking those meetings out, don't wait for people to come to you. I think there's many ways of being strategic about it and simply just starting and not waiting for some threshold to, to take place in order to feel worthy. I think that's really the key. So what are some of those ways? You know, when I, again, just some examples I've used with women is to, you know, in today's Zoom world, um, you know, practice your introduction. You know, when you're in a meeting, we all have to introduce ourselves at times and find a way to pack a lot into the 30 seconds, who who am I? And, um, and it's sort of interesting to me how women, um, at least ones that I work with, tend to introduce themselves, which I think is underselling exactly who they are or how they might want to show up or aspire for the next things. What are the sort of practical examples of, of advice that you give to people? I think, you know, the, the new elevator pitch isn't in an elevator, like you just mentioned, right? It's, it's on the Zoom intro. Um, so I think that is definitely one great suggestion. Um, another great suggestion, I think, is keeping your LinkedIn profile updated because as you go into meetings, as you you know, whether it's vendor, internal people, um, you know, clients, whoever it is that you may be meeting with, they're going to look you up on LinkedIn. And, you know, if you're actively looking for a job and you're worried about coming across like you're looking for a job, then write your profile in a way that showcases your wins to promote your company. Be the, the type of profile that competitors are going to look at and say, you know what, I want her working for us to promote us that way. That's pretty cool. You know, so I think if you just sort of look the leadership part, um, it, it's in and of itself sets a tone with people when you chat with them. Um, I would also encourage someone to, you know, set up a certain amount of one-on-one -on -one meetings each week with people that you do projects with. You know, even if it's 15 minutes, a catch-up of some kind. Um, if the meeting isn't feasible, then you know, a summary email that's very short. Just the key is to stay visible in a factual progress, you know, outlining the progress manner. And that all has to be substituted for what would happen maybe walking by somebody's office or being part of, you know, an in-person conference if, you know, that happened more regularly prior to the pandemic. So it needs to be more deliberate and intentional in this remote world. And, you know, it, it may feel uncomfortable for some people, but I think people have to remember others are doing it. And so you may be left out by not doing it. And so, you know, by trying it and starting small and building your comfort level and then doing it more regularly each week, each month, I think that's the key is to keep your reputation nurtured, keep your network nurtured and be factual in your presentations. 
Well, I also think that, you know, networking, you mentioned that 60 to 65% of whatever the next um, ladder up position is, is, is through network. And I think that people often misconstrue networking as being something that you do only if you're looking for a, a next position. Um, I don't think that's true. And I think it's also harder to network again in this sort of, you know, some of us back, some of us not back kind of environment. And it also just in talking to lots of women, networking seems to be a harder thing to do, generally speaking. So beyond the one-on-one -on -one meetings with colleagues that you're working with, how do you, what, what do you think about networks? How do you advise people to do networking and how, do, how can networking be done in a professional way that isn't just in a job seeking way? Some things that I use LinkedIn for personally, and I we've advised clients to do and we see work, you know, and it may seem random, but honestly, it works and not a lot of people are doing it. Um, you know, if any business books that you're reading, you know, because honestly, everybody's writing a book nowadays. Um, if any business book that you read, reach out to the author, you know, make a comment um, and indicate what you enjoyed and see if they would have a 15 minute conversation or if you can invite them to a group meeting that you're having that and then you know you can also post about it on linkedin um invite other people to read the book and get together and talk about it but authors want to see want, want to be noticed so that's typically a, a reply you're going to get back in many cases um so that's one one thing to try um do that same idea if you see conferences being held even if you can't attend you can look at the speaker list if any of the um the presentations are videoed um watch it you know make a comment reach out to the person directly and you know ask to set up a chat or even just answer some questions via email um, people are more likely to sometimes do that if they can't actually make a, a time to chat and again share it you know post it invite other people into that conversation and and just kind of see where it goes um, I would look for individuals within your company that are doing interesting work, great work, um, and you know, reach out to them, whatever, and make the the comment that's appropriate based on the work, based on a milestone they've had, or whatever the case may be. And if a meeting's in order, great. If not, you know, even just having a dialogue, you've made a connection. And you know, I would look for people on LinkedIn. You can use the search feature to find people that you know can be of interest, you know, whether it's certain position titles of certain companies, whether it's, you know, um, professors at or at, at universities and business schools that can maybe connect you with other people. Um, I mean, there's just, I would just look for what you're interested in or interested in discussing, and then who would be the individuals that are purveying that information, and then try to, you know, reach out and have conversations and see where they go. I think that's such great, you know, advice, so practical, so relatable. I mean, that's how we met Lisa. I mean, you just reached out to me. We had a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, we're, we're talking here today, um, but I want to move to something else. And so this is the sort of, you know, big discussion of 2022, great right. resignation, great revaluation, the great reset. So what, what, are, what are you saying in terms of all the people that you're talking to are, is there many more people reaching out? to you what what is, what is the conversation and how do you look at sort of the dynamics in the workforce today i think the great resignation at the executive level isn't um it isn't as uh impactful as 
as say maybe at the mid-level or the staff level. I think mm -hmm. executives and senior level people have been making quality of life type of um, job changes well before you know the pandemic. Not to say that the pandemic hasn't affected the senior level or executive set; it absolutely has. But you know, the option of saying like, "I want to have a more meaningful job. I want to you know be home with my family more. I want certain perks so I can have flexibility." That we've been coaching clients on that type of change, you know, since I've started in this business. So I would say that the Great Resignation hasn't really um, been a reason or new reason for the executive set. But I think now that the middle management and staff level employees now see that as an option. And that's what's really making the labor force very tumultuous right now for, for employers in terms of finding the right talent, because that, you know, now these other levels of individuals see that they can quit because of family reasons, health reasons, quality of life reasons. And I think that was never really a mentally available option to other positions other than the executive set. So I, for the executives, I would still say like, you know, don't get caught up in, in, in what the headlines are reading, like really just, and this goes for everybody, but because it really isn't pertaining to the executive set, I would say really look at what you wanna make the change for. And then again, where does that exist? And then come up with a plan to make that change happen in the locations, in the employers that are going to be able to facilitate the change that you want. So the people that you're working with, it might not be affecting them personally, but in terms of, I mean, they are the leaders of the people who are going through this. So how are you advising them to be better employers, to be um, more engaging leaders um, to, you know, for the team members um, that they're, because, because keeping people in place yeah. and focused is, yes, it's everything to achieving whatever are, you know, always, you know, a big, big um, goal organizations have? The executives and senior leaders that are having success um, with their staff are the ones that seem to be most compassionate and really embrace humanity for what it is. You know, people have different lives at home, um, you know, who's caring for children, who is single and might be suffering from isolation more than the next person, who's caring for elderly parents regularly and, you know, working the nine to five Monday through Friday doesn't work as, as well when they have to, you know, do medications or doctor's appointments for their elderly parents or, you know, I mean, there's just so many different family situations at home and the pandemic has really like just shine a massive light on all that, that I think if leaders are still trying to make sure everybody fits into this, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five model, they're essentially excluding people. You know, it is, it is more naturally inclusive to be flexible within the confines of which a business can be flexible and trailing and really trying to be creative in exploring that. So the business doesn't suffer. I mean, you, gotta be, you can't do things without the business suffering, obviously, but, but at the same time, there's typically more options than we've, given some attention to in the past. And I think those that are being successful are now giving attention to those options.
Right. And I, I think, I mean, those are, you know, often characteristics of um, women leaders who um, can, you know, move into that um, area of compassion in a way that perhaps um, for it may be easier um, for many. So those, that's, again, just great, great advice. You know, I couldn't um, be talking to you, Lisa, without asking you the question that is probably the most often um, question that I get from younger women who are starting out in their career. You know, how do I negotiate? negotiate for a better compensation package? How do I know my worth and um, ask for it? How do you advise people there? I would say arm yourself with research, you know, salary research in different geographic areas based on the experience you bring to the table and, and ask, you know, just always ask, you know, even if you ask and get, you know, turned down, they still know you to, and see you as somebody who will ask because you want to set the tone right from the beginning that you will be somebody who will ask and and i think that's the key and and then a secondary piece of advice is just keep your marketing external marketing materials ready because when you look like you're comfortable in your job your employer will not necessarily work as hard to keep you but if you know and you don't always want to be looking and and you, you know it's not about constantly you don't want the reputation of constantly looking or or being so obvious about looking but if you look like you can be recruited away they will work hard at keeping you happy um if you look comfortable and you know blindly loyal they just instinctively if resources are short or attention spans are short by management they're going to focus i mean i hate to say the squeaky wheel thing but it's it, there is some value to it and the key is to do it tastefully and diplomatically and, and not look like a commodity and then they will work hard to keep you. Lisa, I think there's just those comments, you know, what I like about them is they speak to both sort of like the internal emotions that many women feel in terms of comfort or discomfort with asking for things, but then also, you know, recognizing the real issues from the employer side, which is, you know, obvious given that you work with so many different executives. This has been such a great, inspiring women conversation. Lisa, before we close out, any last words of wisdom from the 20 years of giving, giving advice? What's the best advice you can leave other aspiring um, women? Do what you can proactively to keep your brands, you know, current because it will prevent you from feeling stuck. And the key is to always know that there's somewhere else. If, if for any reason you do find yourself somewhere, you know, where the advancement isn't happening anymore, it does happen to everyone at some point in their career. It's not indicative of your personal worth. The key is just to know you have value. And then it's just a matter of accepting the fact you may have to find it somewhere else and that's okay. But there, you know, it's human. You know, literally everything I think most people feel, all of us have felt at some point or another um, in our careers and we're not alone. And, and the key is to then ask for help so we can share that experience and help people move on to the place where they're appreciated. Terrific. Well, Lisa, I so appreciate this conversation. This has been an Inspiring with Women episode with Lisa Rangel. And Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate being here very much. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.